Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Feeling a little bit animated. It's episode 185 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I say that because I'm going to be talking about Justice League action on the show this week, bringing in Rachel Kimsey, who's the voice of Wonder Woman, and Jim Krieg, who's one of the writers and producers on the show, to talk about a series that's on Cartoon Network. It's one that I really enjoy. It reminds me of those animated series of my childhood and even ramped up even more with the humor. So we'll talk about that. Also, talking about the Black Panther trailer and nerd news coming up, a spoiler-filled review of the Dirk Gently Season 2 premiere is going to be coming up for this week in Geektainment. Now, one thing I've been getting messages about saying, okay, we heard the Flash spoiler-filled review, Legends of Tomorrow Supergirl. Where's the Arrow one? You might have missed it. It's actually on our social media pages, something that we're going to do a little bit more often. You'll have reviews of certain things that will be on Facebook or on Twitter. So make sure you're following us, facebook.com slash downandnerdy, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram, because you just might miss certain reviews. So make sure you're following us on social media. Up next, though, going to review some comics. That's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy podcast. This is writer Peter Milligan. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Grab your long box, your tablet, or your laptop, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And speaking of being time, this is something that you've heard me talk about on the show before. Black Crown Comics are finally here, and that means Kid Lobotomy is going to be kicking off everything. Of course, this is written by our buddy Peter Milligan. Art and cover done by Tess Fowler, Lee Lorge on the colors, and letters done by Ididia Bidikar. This actually follows a family where the kids are named Lobotomy, of course, and it's about a big, big daddy is the other <laughs> the name of the other character. This is the kind of book that this is. And the family owns a bunch of hotels, or at least Big Daddy does, and one in particular that's called The Suites, where a bunch of weird things happen, and it's a first-person narrative from Kid Lobotomy himself, saying, talking about everything that happened with how he grew up and he actually used to be in a band and that didn't work out. And they kind of go into that a little bit. And there's something that goes on with this family that causes a lot of friction. And I say family, I'm using that term very, very loosely. I will say that this is a very strange and eclectic family and especially one relationship in particular of course i'm trying to be spoiler spoiler free here so i'm not going to give this away to you two of the family members specifically have a relationship that is definitely not something that you hear about every day and they don't really go into it too much as to as to why they sort of it's hinted at as a matter of fact there's a letter at the very end of this issue, I would read that letter. It's hard to read a little bit because it's supposed to be in, in, a, in a form of handwriting. Read that letter and that might give you a little bit of insight. But we get to meet some of the employees of this hotel as well. And and actually the employees themselves are saying, don't stay here, which is not something that you, you typically want with your business. And one of the employees, and it's the it's the housekeeper, plays a major role in this story. And that's all I can really give away as far as she goes. But there, there is sort of a, 
I don't even want to say villain of the week. It's it's almost like a subject of the week is a better way to put it. That that comes in with a problem that Kid Lobotomy tries to solve, and Kid Lobotomy's problems start to kind of go up and down in this first issue. And the way that it ends is quite shocking. I got to say, I, I did not expect this book to end the way that it did. And it's one of those endings where you see it, you're shocked by it, and you go, okay, so this can't really be what happened, right? But maybe it is, and maybe that's part of the beauty of the story of Kid Lobotomy number one. Maybe that's why this was done. There's got to be a reason for it. And that's 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 kind of where I was left anyway. And the middle parts of this, I can't really tell you without spoiling anything. Music is definitely a big part of it. The family dynamic couldn't be more strange and, and out there. And, of course, there's your, there is a typical power struggle within the family as well. So that trope is there, but at the same time, this book was so weird and unique. I remember when DC launched Young Animal, the uh, the imprint not too long ago, and that was kind of out there, but it didn't really set with me. It didn't seem like it really worked. This is so wonderfully odd and just out there, and and it's, it's horror, but it's not. It's horror with an edge that you that makes you try to understand what it is. And I think that going that deep with it is one of the things that I really, really liked about this comic. And Peter Milligan just knows how to write horror really, really well. I mean, I loved his run on the Mummy Palimpsest with Titan. He just brought a great horror element to that story. And he does that with Kid Lobotomy as well. And Kid Lobotomy, a deeply disturbed I guess you could call him a kid. He's more like a like an older teenager than anything else. I'm not sure I would necessarily call him a kid per se, but he he's trying to be normal and can't be because of all the things that are around him. And it's just going to be very interesting to see where the story goes after the end of this first issue. I'm definitely interested to find out more about where Black Crown is going to be going and taking Kid Lobotomy. And one of the things that cranks that wonderfully weird thing up a notch is the art by Tess Fowler in this book. I mean, it's like she gets the vibe of every single panel. You know, sometimes books have a couple of throwaway panels here and there, and you get that because not every panel seems like it's essential to the story. But Tess Fowler brings that kind of energy to this book, it's like every panel matters in this first story. I mean, you're launching an imprint here. You're launching Black Crown. So it just feels like everybody on the creative team just threw in everything they had into this book to make it a success. So this is a pull for me right now. I'm, I'm hoping that it kind of keeps that forward momentum in what it is right now and doesn't deviate and become too weird for the sake of weird. So I do have my radar up a little bit, but this is definitely a pull for me at the start. You know how much I love the Kong Skull Island comics that Boom Studios had? Well, we've got another story now called Kong Gods of Skull Island. And one of the reasons I want to review this book is because of who's writing it, and that's Philip Kennedy Johnson. I love Last Sons of America, loved the uh, Warlords of Appalachia, so I had to see what his what he was going to be doing with the licensed property in Kong. And of course, illustrated by Chad Lewis, colors by D. Conniff, and letters by Ed Dukeshire. And it's a story about an explorer named Copeland who was searching for a place where he could kind of make his own, right? It's like, okay, let me find an island and and just bring society to that island, make it my own. It's almost like a Crusades type of situation. 
where where you're where you're looking to bring Christianity to to people that don't have it and and bring technology and different foods into a culture and remake it into your own and just find your own paradise and then you in, you encounter the people on the island and things on the island that you didn't expect now i definitely got a little bit of a Jurassic Park vibe when i read this book because you're going through and you're seeing them encountering things that they don't expect expect to encounter but but what sets it apart here and what I think set the last Kong Skull Island comics apart from Boom Studios was the is the indigenous people and how the modern day people interact with the indigenous people and in trying to figure out what they're saying and what they're doing. But what I think was very interesting here was was a change in one of the major characters in this book. Again, I'm not going to give away who it was. But it's a character that you kind of, you see them in one light, and then once they turn that corner, it's it's kind of unexpected. And you go, wow, I liked this person in the beginning. Now I kind of hate him. I'm not sure if I can root for this person anymore, especially after a couple of things that this person does. Now, Kong is a part of the story. That's that much I can tell you without giving anything away. We don't see a ton of Kong. It was kind of like, remember, in the Kong Skull Island comics, if you read them, it wasn't all Kong all the time. There were some good action sequences, and the Kong did play a part in the story, but it was more about the people themselves. And and that is kind of where we're at with this comic as well. But yes, again, there is a lot of action. Yes, people are going to get killed in this issue. A lot of them. It's a little bit of a bloodbath in the beginning and that's definitely not a spoiler it's just that's the way that these first issues have worked out in these stories and the way that there's just a raw emotion here it's at the surface you can feel the tension and that's one of the things that Philip Kennedy Johnson's done so well in some of his other books especially like Warlords of Appalachia you could tell with the two warring factions that eventually this thing was going to explode and eventually things we're not going to go the right, the peaceful route. So you knew that was going to happen. Same thing with Last Sons of America. So he does that again in this comic, but it's always done in a different way. And I love how it was executed in this book. And, and it's something that gives you that, oh, well, what are they going to do now kind of factor. So it kind of leaves you at the end of this book with a, okay, where do they go from here? sort of vibe. That's the best way that I could possibly put it. You get some really good action and you don't exactly know what's going to happen from that. And, and something happens to one of the characters where you're going, okay, so they're just going to let this happen, I guess is the best way I could put it without spoiling it. I know I've mentioned the previous Kong Skull Island comic a couple times before I move on. I wanted to talk about the art in this particular comic. And yeah, I mean... It's hard for me not to want to see Carlos Magno's art on a Kong book because I thought that he was just so amazing and took it to another level. But you got to give Chad Lewis his credit. It feels like this book is almost like a period piece. It's not set in our modern time. So it seems like the art is appropriate to the setting in, in which it's in. It doesn't specifically say exactly what year we're talking about here. So... I'm not sure exactly when this takes place. Maybe I missed that at some point during the in my reading this book, but it just feels like this art, it's perfect because it feels like it's a period piece. It almost feels like something out of the 50s or something, or, or maybe even around 
a World War II era or even a World War I era type of thing. So it feels like the art is appropriate for the setting. So I like that they went that route. You could have brought somebody like Carlos back and given us similar art for consistency, but you bring in Chad Lewis for something that you're doing specific for a time period. And I think that was a really good way to go. As a Kong fan, I think that Boom Studios has done a very good job with these comics, so it'll be very interesting to see where this particular one goes, Kong Gods of Skull Island, because it's a different interpretation of the last Skull Island comic that they had. It's a different interpretation than the movie, although a little bit similar to the movie, actually. This one, I think, a little bit closer to the movie than than the last comic was, and, and whether you loved or hated the movie, this is a story that definitely stands on its own, so don't let that influence you in any way. Again, another good week for me. This is a poll. I can't wait to read more of Kong from Boom Studios and see where this one goes now. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Plenty more geek tainment to get to, and Fall TV continues next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah, this is Flash Gordon, Sam Jones, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This week in Geek Tainment and another week of a big premiere and season two of Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency on BBC America. And the basic theme of what's going on in this first premiere episode is it seems like everyone wants to find someone. And you've got Todd and Farah. They're on the run after everything that happened last season. Not only are they looking for Dirk, but they're looking for... Todd's sister Amanda as well because you know she ran off with the Rowdy 3 at the end of the of the finale last year. Todd doesn't know where she is and she's not suffering from the disease anymore. He is. So it, it, let's just say that Todd throughout this entire episode spoiler filled by the way is gone off the deep end. I mean he is really really lost it or he's completely bought in to the holistic thing for Dirk because now he's the guy that it feels like everything means something. And you know how Dirk was lovably annoying? Well, now Todd's starting to take the whole lovably annoying thing to the next level as well. And and Fair is trying to manage him and not only making sure that they don't get caught and try and find the people that they're looking for, but, you know, fair has got her problems too. She had a little bit rough in the season one finale as well. So she doesn't necessarily... She can't really hold Todd's hand, and that's what she's doing. And they have a very interesting relationship. It's almost relationship by necessity. But you can tell that she cares about Todd, and it's a very interesting dynamic between the two of them. That's one of the things I loved about this first episode of the second season was just the dynamic between Ferris' character and, and Todd. I thought it was really, really good. And then you've got Amanda, who's looking for the rest of the Rowdy Three, which you're missing. She only has one of the four. And she's trying to find the rest of them. But the focus really isn't on that. Part of the focus, other than the search for Dirk, is Dirk himself. And Blackwing now has Dirk. But here's the deal. Ever since Sergeant Hugo took over, now he says, okay, I want to search for the special people. I want to search for the people that Blackwing used to have. And one of the funniest lines of the whole episode was when he said, these people aren't cool. I want to find the cool ones. And you can tell he's still kind of the moron, but he's in charge. And that's one of the things I love about Dustin Milligan. Dustin Milligan, the way he just portrays Sergeant Hugo is so funny. I know it's dumb and corny, but it's so funny the way he, the way he just brings Sergeant Hugo to life. And the fact that he's in charge is completely hilarious to me, too. And the fact that he thinks that everybody has powers because he so wants to have that special person. And, I mean, take Ken's character. 
for example. You've got Ken, who we know doesn't have powers. He's stuck in a cab in Blackwing. They think he has powers because he has the dog. And then you've got Dirk, and it's the struggle of Dirk saying, this is not how I work. I'm not psychic. So they keep giving me all these psychic tests, and they've been there for two months now, and nothing. So that's where we're at so far, and as the events of the episode unfold, yes, they do come in contact with a police officer in a very small town who runs a check on them, so it looks like that's going to be a problem. And then you've got Bart, who, of course, was one of Blackwing's subjects, and she's looking for Ken, and Ken is at Blackwing, and, of course, she's the holistic assassin, so she's killing people. And then you've got this family, and we're not quite sure how they kind of work into the whole thing, but it looks like they're going to be a big part of what's going to be going on this season because you've got the, it's the Borton family and Bor is pretty much where it's at. It's the son that acts up. It's the husband that doesn't really care. doesn't pay attention. And then you have the wife who's kind of trying to, you know, find her way in the world, I guess you could say. And she's very mousy is the best possible way that I could describe it until something happens to her, and there's wands, and there's a mage played by Jack Hanna, which was very, very interesting. We'll find out more about that, I'm sure, as the season goes on. But I want to backtrack just a little bit to the very beginning of the episode. And it's like this ancient world, and instead of swords, they fight with giant scissors, and it was really, really weird. And if you saw the the previews for episode two, we find out that that's actually another dimension and of course who can save their world from war it's Dirk gently so it's the whole the cases find me thing is what Dirk always says the cases find me and that's where I go and that's how it works well it looks like we're going to get right to that based on what happens at the end of this first episode and the previews of course that you see for the second episode which I don't want to spoil for you I know we put out our shows on a Friday and it's a Saturday premiere and it's a Saturday second episode I'm not going to spoil that for you so we're just going to talk about this first episode for now Dirk Gently to me is just one of those shows you either love it or you hate it first of all I don't think there's much middle ground with Dirk Gently but it's just so lovably weird and quirky, and it's one of those things where you're watching the episodes now, especially after the way season one went down, because season one, sometimes things happen, and I'm like, okay, what does this have to do with anything? And then you find out at the end it had something to do with everything. It's the whole everything is connected thing. They just find a way to make it all work in the end. So now I'm watching season two differently than I watched season one, because now I know that there are these little things. Maybe I'm turning into Todd. I don't know. Maybe I'm a crazy person. But now I know that every little thing could mean something like the rabbit, the bunny that Todd's chasing in his first episode, which was also funny, by the way. It's, that could come That could come to play it's, it's at any point during the season. That's the crazy thing. So we know that they're probably going to be traveling to another dimension at some point. You know they're going to get back together as a unit, or at least part of them anyway. It just seems like that's not going to be dragged out, and I think that's smart. And, and it almost doesn't matter to me where the lovely, weird journey is going to take us. It just matters that we're going to get there, and I know that we're going to get there. So I'm so glad to have Dirk Gently Season 2 back. Still loving pretty much every character on the show and the way that they sort of fit together and the way all the dynamics come in. And I'm really interested to see Alan Tudyk come on the show and a couple of the other new characters as well and see how they fit in in future episodes. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Dirk Gently Season 2 premiere. Up next, you know we've got a bunch of nerd news. Let's get to it on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Hi, I'm Simone Missick from Marvel's Luke Cage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to head down to Wakanda and find out why the internet is going crazy because it's time for nerd news. And once again, a couple of big trailers to talk about. And the one that had the most talk throughout the nerdosphere was, of course, the Black Panther trailer. Of course, Black Panther going to be coming to theaters February the 16th, 2018. And what we saw was... A really good look at Michael B. Jordan's character, finally, Eric Killmonger. We also saw Plenty of Claw, which is, of course, Ulysses Claw, which is played by Andy Serkis. And we get a good look at Wakanda this time, a really good look. And, of course, Chadwick Boseman. We get to see some of the other supporting cast as well. Lots of action in this trailer. And, I mean, T'Challa is pretty much everything that DC wants Aquaman to be and he kind of grants the same respect as Batman I think in the Marvel Cinematic Universe he's just the guy he's royal he's rich he's got a good swagger about him he's a leader he's everything that I wish we had from Black Bolt in Inhumans he just stands up and he is the leader of his people and he can fight and he has all the good qualities that you want and and the same can be said I think for this trailer in general one thing that I think is going to be really interesting though is based on what we know about Black Panther is are Okoye and Nakia going to be rivals at all or are they going to be friends because you know they sort of have a friendly relationship in the comics but will they present them that way in the movie or will there be more a little bit of a rival or something like that so I'm very interested to see how that's going to go, and of course, Lupita Nyong'o looks amazing in this trailer, and I can't wait to see what Denai Gurria as Okoye is going to do as well. It just seems like everything about this works, and it looks like everything goes, is going to be done very, very close to the comics, although I will say I, I'm a little bit worried about the villain again. As just as I am in any Marvel movie, it seems like the villains aren't quite on par with their hero counterparts, and it's not for lack of trying. I mean, Marvel's tried on several occasions, but it just seems like the villains come up weak, and it'll be very interesting to see just how bad Michael B. Jordan is. And by bad, I don't mean he's going to be awful in the movie. I mean, how bad is his villain character, Eric Killmonger, going to be? And then how much of a role is Claw going to play? And are they going to combine forces at some point? You think that they probably would. And will having a dual villain in this movie make it a little bit more of a threat? Because that's also something you want, don't you? And and that's not something we always get in Marvel movies either. You want the villain to actually seem like a threat. And from the get-go, I know that Killmonger is a threat in Black Panther in the comics. But you see the trailer and you look at the two and you go, come on. You know, like T'Challa's going to take him down in five seconds. And that's just my opinion. Again, so we'll see exactly how that's going to shake out. Really, really looking forward to Black Panther, though. I'll be honest. It looks like it's going to be spot on, and I can't wait. Another trailer that came out, it's actually been out for a little bit, but I didn't get a chance to talk about it, and that is New Mutants, which is going to be coming out on April the 13th of 2018. Here's the line that worried me the most. And remember the story we did a few weeks ago about 20th Century Fox saying that this is going to be kind of a haunted house movie. There was a line in the trailer that literally said, this isn't a hospital, it's a haunted house. And we see a lot of the characters, we see a lot of Maisie Williams, who of course is going to be playing Wolf Spain in this movie. You see a lot of her. You also see Dr. Cecilia Reyes, who's going to be played by Alice Braga. You see a lot of her as well. 
but then you see that there is a lot of a haunted house aspect. And yes, this looks like it's going to be a horror movie, which I don't have a problem with, by the way. I don't think that this is a bad thing, especially with how Legion worked out. And I'm not saying that Legion was necessarily horror, but it was definitely a cerebral thriller, I guess is the best way that I could put Legion. And there were some horror elements in there as well. And that worked out so well, and the story in that was fantastic. So for them to go this route and cr- even crank it up more to do New Mutants as a horror movie, I don't have a problem with that. And there's certainly going to be enough name recognition in the movie as well with, with Maisie Williams and me and Charlie Heaton coming off of Stranger Things. So it's not like there's any shortage of things to make this movie successful. The thing that I worry about is, is the statement from 20th Century Fox saying that this is going to be a haunted house movie with, with hormonal teenagers and give it more of a breakfast club vibe. I really, really hope that that's not the case. And you see this trailer and you say, okay, it's going to be a horror movie. Don't worry about it. I can't not worry about it because in, your, in the first trailer that you put out, they say this isn't a hospital, it's a haunted house. Yeah, I'm still a little bit worried. Just because this is going to be a horror movie, it looks like, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be good because it breaks the mold. And I think that that's one thing that we need to be careful about, too. I do like that this is breaking the mold. Deadpool broke the mold of X-Men movies, and that worked out hugely for the better. But that doesn't mean breaking the mold is going to work out for the better every time. And that is what has me worried about New Mutants. They're going to do something different. But is it going to be for the better? And I don't think it should necessarily be. Like I said, when I talked about what, they, what 20th Century Fox did before, I don't think it should just be a bunch of kids get together and save the world, right? I don't necessarily think it needs to be that. But don't force it just for the sake of being different. And don't make it corny because if anything can be corny, if not done correctly, I think we'll agree it's a horror movie. So maybe they're trying to capitalize on the popularity of horror movies. A lot of horror movies at the top of the box office lately. Maybe you try and strike while the iron's hot on that. I guess I'm really curious to see what another trailer is going to be like. It's still early in the game, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes with the second trailer and see just how deep they're going to go in the horror genre. And maybe to work out for the best, and I certainly hope that it does. Getting to a little bit of news and something that I'm actually surprised we haven't heard about before, and that is Marvel thinking about doing their own convention. Now, Kevin Feige was talking to Fandango recently and was doing some press, saying that there have been discussions, and he was talking about the Star Wars celebrations and how, how he's been to a couple of those, and he loves how they do that. And he says they certainly have enough content, which it's hard to argue with, right? So would you go to a strictly... Marvel convention. Now, the first thing you're probably saying is, well, you know, it depends on where it is. Well, obviously, it'd probably be somewhere in California, somewhere near Marvel headquarters, right? Maybe they would hold it in New York, but it, it just doesn't seem like this would be necessarily a traveling exhibit. I'm not sure that they would stick this in a, I guess to use sports terminology, a neutral site. So I could see this being somewhere maybe in Los Angeles or somewhere close to there. And why wouldn't you do that? And here's the thing. Are we going to have comics, TV, movies? I would think you would throw that all in there. Animation, just throw everything you have into one convention. Yeah, they certainly have enough content. How many days do you make it? Who can you get to actually go to these things? Because your talent, you can understand why, they, why they're there to promote their movies. And I know that for Marvel talent, you have to promote the brand as well. But I mean, when you're talking about having them do San Diego and New York and a bunch of other bigger conventions, plus doing the film tours and the press tours and things like that. 
suddenly the plate starts to fill up and how often are you going to expect them to be available? And here's the other thing. We're talking about Marvel Studios here. Can they find a way to play nice with 20th Century Fox, who has the rights to the X-Men and some of these other X-Men movies? Could this be the place where we finally get everyone together? Because it would be kind of weird to have Marvel Comics there talking about X-Men and Deadpool and all of these things and then not have the movies or the, t- or the uh, subsequent TV shows be represented at all. So hopefully they could figure out a way to play nice there. I mean, they did do this once. Marvel did have a Marvel Con in 1975, and the, they were supposed to do it again in 76, and it got canceled. You'll remember the 75 one because that's where Stan Lee announced that Jack Kirby was going to be coming back to Marvel. So... Yeah, this could work. It's something that I would certainly be interested in going to. And yeah, there's certainly enough there to talk about. And I think it would be a good time. Yeah, when when I miss some of the other stuff, like especially going to San Diego, and I miss being able to see everything else there. Yeah, but it's but still, it's it has more content than Star Wars. It's almost like why are they not doing this? Star Wars might have a bigger fandom, arguably, than Marvel as a whole. And I know that that's a huge argument that you could make. But Marvel certainly has way more content than Star Wars does. And they're still popular right now. We're still waiting for the superhero bubble to burst. I don't think you want to wait too long. So if Marvel's going to do this, I think they need to do this in the next couple of years. And hey, I'd go. Why not? Some big casting news also this week. The Titan show is starting to round out. We finally have another Titan on board. Beast Boy going to be played by Ryan Potter, who also was the voice of Hiro Hamada in Big Hero 6. Now, if you look at Ryan Potter, he actually has a striking resemblance to Gar. He really, really does. And it seems like the, the attitude for that is there. Remember, though, he did campaign on social media to be Nightwing or Robin recently in some sort of live-action adaptation. Of course, that went to Brendan Thwaites, who's going to be playing Nightwing on the show. It didn't work out for him in that regard, but it might work out because Beast Boy is kind of that character in the Titans that everybody loves but doesn't get the headlines, right? And if anybody can steal the show, it's Beast Boy. Whether it be Teen Titans Go!, Young Justice!, Titans, any adaptation you can think of, even the animated movies, Beast Boy tends to steal the show a lot, doesn't he? So if you're Ryan Potter, I know you wanted to be Nightwing or Robin. Why not be Beast Boy? Because you might end up being the most popular one on the show. And think about all the stuff that that lends itself to and and moving on in future projects. And you know what? This opens the door for you to maybe try to be a Robin or a Nightwing in the cinematic universe, probably too young to be Nightwing, but I mean, maybe a Damian Wayne or something like that. Why wouldn't you have a shot at that if this is successful? So you leave the door open for yourself. And I know you're thinking, well, they're not going to put somebody that's on a show in the movies. It's happened before. Can't rule it out. I'm not saying that it's going to happen. It probably won't, but at least you leave the door open for yourself, knowing that you missed out on it on one time. Now you've got a chance to do it this way. I think the Titans cast, which has been largely unknowns up to this point, I think it's going to work out really well. You look at everybody that they already have, and it's a show that I'm looking forward to. Still on track for 2018. Haven't really heard anything new about a release date there, but I'm excited, and this might be one of those shows that would be worth subscribing to a subscription service for just to get this show. That's going to do it for kind of a light week in nerd news this week. Coming up next, speaking of DC animation, we'll talk Justice League action with Rachel Kimsey and Jim Krieg next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Yo, this is Greg Sipes, Teen Times Go. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy, 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 Nerdy Podcast. Nerdy, Nerdy, Nerdy Podcast. This guy's the biggest nerd you ever met. The nerdiest of the nerds. One show I've wanted to talk about a lot more on the podcast is Justice League Action, which of course you can see on Cartoon Network and at CartoonNetwork.com and on the Cartoon Network app. And when I was at San Diego Comic-Con 2017, lucky enough to get a chance to talk to some members of the show. First, Rachel Kimsey, who is the voice of Wonder Woman, and of course, writer and producer on the show, Jim Creek. Let's start with Rachel and talk a little bit of Wonder Woman. We're live at San Diego Comic-Con 2017 talking Justice League Action and better to have with us than Wonder Woman herself, Rachel Kimsey. Rachel, how you doing? I am doing great. Thank you. It's a great time to be Wonder Woman. It really is. It's a super exciting time to be Wonder Woman, and uh, especially at San Diego Comic-Con. Last year, it was everywhere. Oh, yeah. And this year, the love is everywhere, so yeah. I'm excited to, to see how it's kind of trickled down into the way that the people are going to dress and what they're going to do and what they're going to bring. When you're playing Wonder Woman after all this exposure that the character's gotten recently and all the love, like you said, does that make you more excited or is there a little bit of anxiety there of like, uh, is everybody going to be like, well, she does it this way kind of thing? I'm having the time of my life. It's the most exciting thing I've ever done and I love every second of it. So if there's somebody who doesn't, I'm sad for them. We're all sad we're for them, so quite frankly. Yeah. The thing that I really love is that the Wonder Woman that I play on Justice League Action is in small and subtle ways different than the Wonder Woman in the in the new film mm-hmm. or in a former animated version or in you know different than what Linda Carter did. And what's great about that is that there's something for everybody and there's room for all of us to kind of put a personal spin on it because the character shouldn't be stale. Oh, absolutely. She should evolve. And the fact that everybody making these properties is allowing that to happen and that I get to be a part of that is amazing. And she actually takes a leadership role a lot on the show, but you also get to have fun. What's it like balancing those two things where you've got the fun side of Wonder Woman, but then you've got the, okay, this is how we're going to do things kind of Wonder Woman. Yeah, I love that they've given me the opportunity to sort of take point on some of the missions and, you know, to fly the jet. And, uh, but then also to acknowledge that these characters all have a, they have a relationship and it exists outside of individual missions. Like, you know that they know each other and they hang out and they bump each, into each other in the hallways and you know that Superman's never paying attention to where his elbows are. <laughs> um, and so to have that feeling, it's not like we're deliberately trying to like write in a joke to bring some levity. It's no, these people have a relationship. And so we let that live. Mm-hmm. is really cool and it makes it a very fully fleshed world in a really compact amount of time, which is fun. What I love about the show, too, is it allows you to bounce off of so many different characters. There's so many characters in the DC universe that you get to work with on mm-hmm. this show. So do you have a favorite or is there one that you haven't worked with on the show yet and you're like, oh, I hope I can do this? Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to name drop two. One, Space Cabby, which was a character I had never heard of before. It was a deep cut before our show. A lot of people went to the Google machine for that one. It's okay. And I was like, I had this one where I was like, am I supposed to know this character? And (laughs) because Pat Oswalt is so amazing, we've been able to use him, we, as if I have anything to do with it, um, a number of times, and that's been really great. But for me, the day that I opened up a script and I saw Solomon Grundy, who is, I just love him so much, that was like, 
my dream come true. And I'm just going to say, keep an eye out for the Christmas episode. You won't be disappointed. And who would have thought Wonder Woman we get to work with Solomon Grundy, <laughs> right? So great. Right? I was so excited. Well, we're looking forward to seeing more of you in Justice League action. It's Rachel thank Kimsey you. playing Wonder Woman. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. San Diego Comic-Con 2017, loving the fact that we get to talk some Justice League action with one of the producers. It's Jim Craig. Jim, how you doing, man? I'm doing just fine. I'm glad to be here. So you guys have got a nice little chest of toys to play with. So, I mean, what was it like walking into meetings with people like, you know, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill and going, how is it that I'm able to do this? Well, I was, I was just reliving that and that um, because some of our actors are, are new. Uh, Rachel Kimsey is Wonder Woman is amazing and, and Jason Lewis is Superman. And uh, and then so you get used to their voices, and then suddenly they're in there with with Kevin and Mark, and you realize, oh, this is real. These actors are really going <laughs> right. to read my lines, and I better go through and make sure it's good. And it, and fortunately, they were nice about it. Uh, but then they gel as a, they're actors and pros, and and it's amazing how quickly they gel as a team and and become a, a Justice League. They all have their own powers, their own acting powers. What's funny is one of my favorite episodes was when Mixus Pitalik mixes up their voices. Have you seen that and, one? Oh my gosh. So what was that <laughs> like to have Jason doing doing Batman's voice? It was so then... fun. That was like, uh, I, I, I can't wait to, for people to see it because uh, they were all hilarious and they are all affected by their new bodies in a really amusing way and Gorilla Grodd's there and Gilbert Gottfried as Mixie, uh, it, it's it's super fun. It's nuts. It's I, how, how did this happen? Why do I get to do this? I don't even know. <laughs> One of the things I loved is that you know you look through all the characters. I mean, you guys are going deep into the DC universe. And I was watching an episode with my son. Actually, who's three? He's going to be three in August. Good, good. Indoctrinate them early. That's the plan. <laughs> That's the plan. So I see. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Red Tornado, and I'm like, no, I'm the only person alive that loves Red Tornado. So what made you decide to bring him into the fold? Oh, they're all going to be there. You know, it's funny. It's not, it's not like we had to, to – to, we say they're deep cuts. It's not like we had to dig through the DC encyclopedia to find them. All, everybody on the show, we kind of grew up with this. It's, it's mm-hmm. our mythology, and, and it's amazing how many people just – you know, come up with, you know what we should do? We should do an, an Uncle Dudley episode with Shazam, you know, and, and no one has to go, well, what's Uncle Dudley? You know, everybody just knows. Right. Everybody knows everybody. And it, I don't know how this happened. You'd think you would only know the characters that were popular when you were from 10 to 13 or something. But it turns out you, you never really get over this stuff. You, 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 right, you read the stuff earlier, the reprints, and then you, you kind of keep your hand in as, it, as you get older. doesn't necessarily go you racing for the Google machine. No, no, you don't. <laughs> you know, everybody knows it. It's funny. So without spoiling anything, because I know you don't want to spoil too much, is there anybody coming up that we should be excited about? Well, I mentioned Uncle Dudley. Uh, uh, Josh Keaton's going to come back as, uh, as Hal, as Hal Jordan. Nice. Oh my gosh, there there's so many. Um, uh, we'll, we have Harley episodes coming up, and Gorilla Grodd, and and more. Star Girl is delightful on the show. Uh, uh, there, oh, we're, we have I, I don't know if it just aired, but we had a, a Star Girl babysitting uh, Clary oh, the Witch Boy. No. <laughs> 
It was Supernatural uh, Adventures in Babysitting. I think that was on the app, actually. I think it's on the app. And she calls Batman because she's having trouble with his demon child. And he's like, I'm sorry, I don't do kids, you know. And so she ends up, she she speed dials Constantine who comes. It's just, it's nuts. I can't, I kind of can't believe we get to do this. That's crazy. Well, make sure you're watching a lot of Justice League action, guys. Jim Craig, producer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Rachel Kimsey and Jim Krieg for stopping by, talking a little bit of Justice League action with me at San Diego Comic-Con. And the one vibe you get from this show, whether you're watching it or whether you're in the room with the people that are making it, is that it's fun. And the thing that I love most about Justice League action is it's funny without taking away from who the characters really are. You still get to see the characters that you love, albeit in a different atmosphere and and certainly more in a cartoonish atmosphere, but they are still those characters like Red Tornado is still Red Tornado. John Constantine is still John Constantine as much as he can be in a kid's show, right? But this is one of those shows that I can watch with my son and it doesn't drive me nuts because it's something that there's humor there for adults, there's humor there for kids, and there's certainly elements of things for kids. And Firestorm might be the best character on the show for kids and adults both because you get both sides of that as well. So an amazing, amazing job. Justice League action. If you haven't gotten a chance to see it, catch it on, Car- catch it on Cartoon Network. Check those local listings. Also go to Cartoon CartoonNetwork.com and the Cartoon Network app, and you can see a whole bunch of episodes of Justice League action. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Don't forget, you can always find us on social media at facebook.com slash downandnerdy, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram. As a matter of fact, if you've been wondering, hey, where's your review of the Arrow premiere? It wasn't on the show last week. Well, it's on our social media page. It's a little bit of a special there, and you're going to see a lot more of that coming up here soon. So find our Arrow review there, maybe even talking some Mr. Robot and some other things. Batman versus Two-Face, talking about that also on our social media pages. And always catch up with us online, downnerdypodcast.com. Remember this, though. You never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.